help me welcome our teaching pastor, Craig Olson. The view from here is amazing. I wish I could describe it to you. There are no accurate words that could describe the awe, the glory, the grandeur, the majesty of what I am seeing from this spot right here. Words would never do it justice. What I am about to say are words that I've never said in my entire life. I'm about to utter them right now. I want to go on a hike. There. I said it. I've never said those words before. I've never had the desire to hike to the top of a mountain where I am right now. Now, don't be fooled. I've been to the top of a mountain before. It wasn't what I wanted to do, necessarily, but I got to the top of a mountain. You see, I'm going to make a bold assumption here right now. That... In every single one of our relationships that we experience, that we live in, we all want to be at the very peak of that relationship. We all want to make it to the top of the mountain of our relationships. You see, nobody starts off at the top of the mountain in their relationship. You always start down at the bottom, which means there's work that has to be put in to get from the bottom of the mountain up to the top of the mountain. Now, there's gonna be some things in our lives where we are gonna wanna see mountains move in our life. But when it comes to our relationships, it's not about wanting to see mountains move in our relationships that we have. It's all about putting in the work so that we can work our way up the mountain in that relationship. And so over the next two months, we are going to discuss in depth of what it looks like to work our way from the very bottom of a mountain to work our way to the top and what it takes to stay at the top of the mountain. Because the reality is every single one of us in this room watching online, we all desire this. We all want to win in our relationships. I'm not talking about winning an argument. I'm not talking about getting your final point across. I'm not talking about winning every decision or making sure that every compromise ends the way that you want it to go. I'm talking about winning in relationships, putting in the hard work to get from there to here so that at the very end of this series, we are all equipped to know exactly what it takes to win in our relationships. Several years ago, I had the opportunity of running into a family that I had met many years ago, and uh, the mom proceeded to tell me this story about a Saturday morning that she had where she was sitting in her living room with her husband and her two young boys, and she is sitting there, and it's a beautiful morning. The sun is pouring in, and it's just this amazing Saturday morning when all of a sudden, bam, There was a noise, and they weren't sure what that noise was or where it came from. Their youngest son, who was in about second grade at that time, runs over to the sliding glass door where the noise came from, and he looks outside, and as he looks down, he sees that there is a bird that had just flown right into the sliding glass door. So he runs outside, and his parents follow him out there, and he's got a real soft spot in his heart for animals, and he 
looks down and says, Mom, Dad, we have to help this bird. We have to make sure that we can care for this bird. We have to do something. Mom and Dad, help. There has to be something that we can do. Relenting, the parents say, okay, we'll, we'll make sure that we can do whatever we, sh- we can do. And they didn't really know what to do. So they went to the pet store and they got a bird cage and they got some bird seed and they got some other things that w- they would need. And so they said, well, he- here's, here's what we'll do. We'll make sure that the bird, hopefully it will heal on its own. But what you need to know, son, is this. We're not going to be able to keep this bird. Eventually, we're going to have to release this bird back into its natural habitat. So the boy said, that's okay. I just want the bird to be okay. He said, okay. So they had the bird inside, and they had the bird seed, and every couple of days they would check on the bird, and the bird was beginning to move a little bit more. They took two Gatorade bottles that were empty, and they got one of those paper towel rolls, just like every kid builds a project with, right? And they build this little perch inside the birdcage. And a couple of more days go by, and the bird's beginning to move a lot more. By, uh, by, by a week and a half after the accident, the bird is now flying in the cage, and then two weeks after this accident had, has happened, the bird is now flying completely uninhibited in this cage. And it would be on that particular Saturday morning, two weeks after this almost horrifying incident, the mom said to the son, we're going to have to let the bird go today. And he said, I understand. Having a sense of pride and a sense of joy that he has contributed to the well-being of this bird now being fully back to health. And the boy says, Mom, I want to go in the backyard, and I want to release, or the mom says, we need to go into the backyard, and we need to open up the cage, and we just need to let the bird fly out. And the boy says, no, 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 we got to do it in the front yard, Mom. The mom says, no, I, I really think that we ought to do it in the backyard. I think it's just going to be better all around. And the boy said, Mom, we have to do it in the front yard. Please, just trust me. And the mom says, okay. So they go out. They're standing on their front porch got this big overhang. And so the mom says, this is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to go out there. We don't want to frighten the bird. So what we're going to do is we're going to open up the cage, and then we're just going to stand back. And we're going to let the bird just fly out when it's ready. The bird will know what to do. And the boy says, okay. So he walks over and opens up the cage, and he stands back. The bird's flying around in the cage, jumps out on the opening, kind of doing a bird thing and kind of looking around and jumps back into the cage and flies around a little bit, goes out to the opening, then jumps up on top of the cage, and he's kind of looking around. He begins to do a couple of test test laps underneath this overhang in this patio, and he lands back on the cage, and he looks one more time, and he takes flight, and he's circling under the patio, and then what the mom had described to me is almost just a slow-motion moment. The bird takes off, and it begins to fly low across the front lawn right there. There was a shrub that existed between their house and the neighbor's house. And as the bird is just beginning to take flight and just this freedom back into the habitat that it was born to live in, that it was born to fly in, all of a sudden, bam! The neighbor's cat leaps out of the shrub and grabs this bird out of midair right in front of this boy's eyes. As God, as my witness, this is a true story. To which you might be wondering in this very moment, why in the world are you telling us this story right now? Because oftentimes in our lives, 
Our relationships experience some of the most unexpected twists and turns just like that bird experienced that fateful Saturday morning. Amen is right. Sometimes it's a cat, sometimes it's another person, sometimes it's a phone call. We don't know what awaits us. Our relationships experience things like this all the time. But the hopeful part is this, our relationships are not defined by a singular event or circumstance. Our relationships are not defined by one particular moment or day or thing. Our relationships are a result of what happens after the circumstance or event. For example, the day that you met your best friend is not the peak of your friendship with that person. That might be one of the best days that you've ever had, but it doesn't speak to the peak of the relationship with that friend. The day that you got married might be your favorite day of your life, but the day you got married does not define the success of your marriage. It's the work that gets put into this relationship after the fact. The day that you held your child in your arms for the very first time, and if you were like me, I walked into that delivery room and I'm like, I ain't crying today, and then I bawled. That was one of the greatest days of my life, but that moment doesn't define the relationship that I have with my kids. The day that you started that brand new job that you were just hoping that you would get, that first day of employment doesn't define your employment. It's what happens after the fact. And the same could be true, the same could be said about your relationship with Jesus. The day that you say yes to Jesus might have been the greatest day of your life, but that day doesn't mean that that's the peak of your relationship with Jesus. It certainly isn't supposed to be like that, nor is it supposed to be like that in any other of our relationships. And if you believe otherwise, then you're not at the peak of the relationship that you might be thinking about in your mind right now. So how in the world do we get from the very bottom of this mountain to the very top of the mountain if this mountain represents relationships in our lives? Because remember, these are the kinds of relationships that we don't want to see mountains move. These are the kinds of relationships where we are invested and we're willing to put in the hard work to get from the bottom all the way up to the top because the view from the top is so much better than the view from the bottom. So what does it take? Unfortunately, the world provides a blueprint for us. And if you've been around the world for any extended amount of time, you, have, you would realize that the world's blueprint of how to handle these kinds of relationships, what's successful, what's loving, what's important, how to handle these kinds of relationships, dare I even say how to win in these relationships, the world provides a very poor blueprint. Faulty, if you will. Our world does not model the kind of love that is needed for these kinds of relationships to thrive. So when the world is off, where do we turn? The Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Look at this. He says, but the goal of our instruction is love. The goal of our instruction, everything that we are communicating, the goal of our instruction is love from three healthy perspectives, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. This is what it requires. If we are going to have, if, if the goal of our instruction is love, then we ought to have a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. To which if you were to look at the very top of that mountain right now, 
And you would say, well, what is it up there? Because oftentimes we want to know what's there before we're willing to put in the work. Okay? I'll bite. What's at the top of the mountain? It's this truth. It's that love is above all else. Love is above all else. That's why Paul wrote that the goal of our instruction is love. That's why 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Above all, love each other deeply. Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Love each other deeply. If you want to reach the mountaintop, if you want to reach the experience, if you want to experience the kinds of relationships in your life that you've always dreamt of, it begs this question that you and I often wonder, what is it going to take to get there? Because if I'm being honest... I'm hanging by a thread in some of these relationships in my life. I'm hanging by an absolute thread. What does it take? You want to win in relationships. If you want to get to the top, if you want to believe that love is above all else, there's four things we need to focus on, four things that will help get us there. The first one is this. How do you win in relationships? It's this. It's love speaks the truth. You guys got a spoiler alert right here. This is, uh, this is later. So if you guys are into taking notes and jumping ahead, all my type A's, you can write that one down right there. There we go. Love speaks the truth. Love speaks the truth. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says this. It says, instead, we will speak the truth in love. It doesn't say we will speak the truth in hate. It doesn't say that we will speak the truth in, I told you so. It doesn't say I... Uh, instead, we will speak the truth in, hey, I'm right, you're wrong. It says we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. I love this verse because it so clearly states how and from whom we learn to speak the truth in love. We take our cues from a guy named Jesus. Some of you guys walked in and you thought, is that a stone or a mountain? Last week, that stone got rolled away. This week it's a mountain, and now we're climbing that mountain. But Jesus is why we do what we do. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing every, in every way more and more like, not the world, not what the right says, not what the left says, not what this news outlet says, not what that news outlet says. It says that we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are littered with amazing examples of how Jesus speaks the truth lovingly in situations and to people. And one of my favorites is John chapter 8. Jesus is in the temple. He's teaching early in the morning. And as he's teaching, as what would happen, a crowd begins to gather. This crowd begins to gather, and there's a decent number of people there, when all of a sudden, the Pharisees, a group of religious elites, show up and they're dragging this woman, and they throw her down in front of this crowd. The Pharisees had just caught this woman in the very act of adultery. And so they drag her out of this adulterous scene, and they throw her down, and they look at Jesus, and they say, you know, the law says that anyone caught in adultery ought to be stoned. Jesus, what do you have to say? Jesus goes to his classic handbook of responses to these people, and he's got two favorites. He'll either A, answer their question with a question, 
or B, say nothing at all. Jesus goes B here. He says nothing. The Bible says that he kneels down and he begins to take his finger and he begins to write in the dirt. It's silent. And he's writing in the dirt. They just said, Jesus, what do you have to say? And he begins writing in the dirt. There's a lot of schools of thought. There's really three that predominate today's day and what he wrote. The first is, is he began to write out the Ten Commandments. The second is, is he began to write the names of the Pharisees in the dirt. I subscribe to number three, which is he began to write the sins of the Pharisees in the dirt. Why? Because they showed up trying to highlight somebody else's sin rather than worrying about their own. And Jesus kneels down and he begins, from my, my thoughts, he begins to write the sins in the dirt to which you could imagine people trying to see, what's he writing, what's he writing? Zacchaeus, he had no shot. I don't even know if he was there. He had no shot of seeing this. It's clicking in. That's good. That's good. So he begins to write in the dirt, and people are probably wondering what he's writing. And I could only imagine seeing the lust, anger, thief, dishonest. And you can imagine people initially being like, oh, oh, but wait, we're not here for me. We're here for this woman because she was caught in the very act of adultery. So the Pharisees, they will not relent. And they say, Jesus, give us an answer. Stone her or not. Jesus goes, all right, stone her. Kill her. But he who is without sin cast the first stone. And you could imagine the ramp up, the yelling, the screaming. And these aren't just like little stones that they would throw. Back in those days, they would take these massive rocks and what they would do is they would crush them over the people's head until they died. That's how that went down. That's how gruesome that was. And you could imagine picking up these rocks and getting ready. And he says, but he who is without sin cast the first stone. And all of a sudden it says one by one, people are dropping their rocks and leaving the scene when all that's left is Jesus and this woman. Jesus is looking around. All these words written out in the dirt. Rocks littered everywhere. And he says, where are your accusers? She says, they're not here. Jesus says, if they don't condemn you, then neither do I. Here comes the truth, though. You ready? Because he looks at this woman and says this. Now go and sin no more. Now go and sin no more. What does that look like for us? Well, we're not to be the judge in any of these situations, but our job is that if we see another brother or sister in Christ that is doing something that they ought not to be doing, it's our responsibility to go to that person. We'll talk about that in just a second, but are you willing to speak the truth even though the truth can be so difficult to speak? Are you willing to speak the truth to somebody that needs to hear it? This isn't designed for people that don't love Jesus. This is designed for brothers and sisters to hold each other accountable, to be willing to speak the truth to one another, and we take our cue from Jesus. Jesus is full grace in this moment, but he's also full truth in this moment. Most of the time, our responses are heavy one way or the other. 
ooh, lots of grace, lots of grace. I don't really want to tell them the hard truth because they get really mad sometimes or they get angry or they get frustrated, so I'm going to go heavy on the grace. You know what? I don't really like that person that much, so I'm going to give them a piece of my mind, so I'm going heavy on the truth and light on the grace. Jesus says we got to, we got to handle them both 100%. It's 100% grace. It's 100% truth. We have to speak the truth in love. Here's a great question. Here's a great question that I have for you. The question that I have for you is this. Are you willing to speak the truth even if it will be difficult? Are you willing to speak the truth even if it will be difficult? We must be willing to speak truth in love. Number two, you want to keep climbing up the mountain? You want to keep working your way up to experiencing winning in your relationships? Number two, love is not easily provoked. Love is not easily provoked. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. It says this, love is not provoked. I love that. You guys have probably heard this, a famous chapter, right? I love how different translations actually showcase uh, what, uh, a different way of communicating this. It says, love does not fly off the handle. That's a good one. Love does not fly off the handle. Uh, the New Living Translation says, love is not irritable. Love is not irritable. And then the NIV says this, love is not easily angered. Question. You have a short fuse? You have a short fuse? Love doesn't respond with a short fuse. I love that the way that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 starts is it says love is patient. Love is patient. As a dad, I struggle with this. I struggle with this. Flying off the handle, being irritable, being easily provoked, and being easily angered are all things that at one time or another my kids have experienced with me. Two months ago, we walked through a series uh, called The Seven Deadly Sins, and I had the privilege, I don't know if it was a privilege or a curse, I don't know, I'm not sure really what it was, but I had the opportunity to speak on the deadly sin of wrath, because that's my deadly sin. And there have been more things in my life that I have regretted saying than I wish to admit. Here's a great litmus test answering this question. Because if you think that you might be easily provoked, if you might fly off the handle, ask yourself this question. When people are around me, do they feel like they have to walk on eggshells? Do people have to just tiptoe very carefully around me because anything that's not done right Anything that's not said a certain way. People are just so nervous to be around you because they know that that fuse is a short fuse. Love is not easily provoked. Number three, love forgives others. Let's keep working our way up the mountain. Love forgives others. Number three, love forgives others. Look at Ephesians chapter four, verse 32. It says this. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Forgiving each other. This is what God wants us to do. Be tenderhearted, not hardhearted. Be tenderhearted, forgiving each other. And I love the end of it. Because oftentimes we'll read a verse like this and we'll be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Forgive? Are you serious? Do you know what that person said, did, thought that I found out about? And I'm supposed to forgive? 
Absolutely. You want to know why? Because the sentence doesn't end right there with a period. There's a comma. It says this, just as you, sorry, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. You got forgiveness from God. God wants us to turn around and extend forgiveness to others. Undoubtedly, you've heard this phrase before. It takes two to tango. How many of you guys have heard that before? It takes two to tango. Oh, yeah. And oftentimes when there's wrongdoing or there's faults or there's hurts or there's forgiveness that feels like should be extended, oftentimes before we get to the point of wanting to extend the forgiveness, we justify it with, well, it takes two to tango. They're just as much as fault as I am. How come they're not doing their thing? It might take two to tango, but it only takes one to forgive. It might take two to tango, but it only takes one to forgive. So often what we do is we withhold forgiveness, extending forgiveness to other people as a way to punish the other person. That's what we do. Oh, I'll show them. I'm gonna withhold this forgiveness. I'm gonna be so mad at them. I'm going to resent them. I'm going to go into my house and say all of these mean things under my breath and they don't hear me. They don't even know that I'm mad at them, but ooh, I'm getting them. Somebody once said it like this, holding on to unforgiveness, not willing to extend forgiveness to somebody else is like you drinking poison but expecting the other person to die. Ooh, I'll get them. Unforgiveness only harms you. And you know what's interesting? More often than not, the other person doesn't even know that you're mad at them. Why? Go back to point one, you can't even speak the truth to them. They don't even know that you're experiencing this hurt, that you are experiencing this idea that, man, I, I, I was hurt, or maybe I did something. I should go and I should ask for forgiveness from this person. One of my favorite interactions in all of the Bible involves Peter and Jesus. And I love this interaction found in Matthew chapter 18. Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how often should I forgive somebody? How often should I forgive somebody? Now, Peter's smart because he came with an answer ready. It wasn't going to be like an open-ended question. He wanted to show God. He wanted to show Jesus in that moment, hey, I studied for this pop quiz. I did this. I did the work. Because, Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody else? Seven times? Here's how he got to seven, by the way. These are my thoughts. Old Jewish law said that you only had to forgive somebody three times. After that, you didn't have to forgive them anymore. That was it. So Peter knew this. He's like, okay, so let's see. I got my paper here. Three. Let's see. If I double that, that's probably good. So three. Carry the one. Set seven. With, oh, Jesus loves the number. That's his favorite number. You guys, I'm going to go ask Jesus how many times we should forgive other people, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop seven for him. What do you guys think? That's good. Dude, this is gold. He walks up, Jesus, question for you. How many times should I forgive somebody? Seven times? Guys, I did it seven. He's going to say yes. Jesus says no. Not seven, but 70 times Seven. I could only imagine, Peter. Remember, this guy was a fisherman by trade, not a mathematician. Hey, can you guys take your shoes off? I got a lot of counting to do. The point is this. 
Stop keeping track. Stop lording it over. For those of you that have exited your notes on your phone and have gone to the calculator, it's 490, okay? <laughs> Which, by the way, if you're like, okay, Jesus said it, guess what you're gonna do? You're gonna keep track till about eight or nine, and you're gonna be like, forget this. I'm, I, I get it, I'm not supposed to keep track. I'm not supposed to keep track. We are supposed to forgive others. We are supposed to extend that forgiveness. And it's supposed to be a number that we don't even keep track of. We just keep forgiving over and over and over again. Why? Because God has forgiven all of our sins first, which means we should not be withholding forgiveness from others. God forgave you. God forgave me. I can't go another octave higher. You and me. If God could do that for us, oh man, we ought to be doing that for other people and not even keeping track, not even keeping count, not even worrying about, well, we already did this. I already forgave. They're doing this thing again. Yep, forgive. Why? Because it's only gonna rot your soul. It's only gonna rot your life. Extend forgiveness. By the way, if you are doing this and you are doing this well, or maybe this is an opportunity where you recognize hey, this might be something that I should start doing. We want to invite you to something pretty powerful, an opportunity to show others, specifically young people, to show them what it looks like to extend forgiveness. Every summer here at Crossroads, we do an incredible summer camp for kids that come from foster homes and incredibly broken backgrounds called Royal Family Kids Camp. And I can only imagine that in some of the hurt and some of the pain that some of these kids have experienced, they need somebody to showcase for them to see what it's like to speak truth into their life of what it looks like to forgive somebody not three times, not seven times, but 70 times, seven times. And if you're doing that, we want to invite you to be a part of that. Coming this June, we've got Royal Family Kids Camp. And if you want more details on that, would you text the word CAMP to 77247? you might have an opportunity to showcase for somebody what it looks like to put in the hard work into a relationship that, where they might be able to begin this ascent up to a mountaintop, where they could experience winning in relationships. There's gonna be a lot of kids there that haven't experienced a win in any relationship. And you have an opportunity to showcase that. Text CAMP to 77247. Why? Because we ought to forgive just as we have been forgiven. So we gotta speak the truth in love. We gotta forgive others. And then we need to reconcile quickly. Love reconciles quickly. Ephesians chapter four, verse 26 says this. And do not sin by letting anger control you. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And anytime he's got a foothold on you, that prevents you from being able to go to somebody and reconcile. That prevents you from being able to go and do that. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 uh, and 24. It says this, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, translation, if you're showing up to church, if you're coming to your place of worship, if you are showing up here and there you remember that your brother has done something against you, there is somebody that has done something against you. And you remember this. It says this, leave your offering there before the altar and go. 
first, first, be reconciled. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Go to your brother first. Go to your spouse first. Go to your child first. Go to your friend first. Go to your coworker first. Go to your neighbor first. Go to your family member first. And be reconciled to them. Be reconciled to them. What about this word reconciled? I love this. The, the word reconciled in the, Greek, in the Greek means a lasso. A lasso. A lasso. It means this, to change or to transform. I love this one. To cause one thing to cease and another to take its place. To be reconciled to somebody means that you go to them and you stop something and you replace it with another thing. You stop the resentment and you begin the acceptance. You stop the hatred and you begin the love. You show up and you stop the thoughts. You show up and you stop speaking behind their back and you begin to speak to their front. One thing ceases and another thing steps in to take its place. Go and reconcile quickly. Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 says this, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Here's a great litmus test. Again, if somebody has done something to you, and you go to them and you ask them for forgiveness or you go to them and say, hey, there's something that I need to bring up to you and this is gonna be really hard for me to, 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 to bring up. But I was really hurt when, or I didn't feel like I was heard when, whatever it might be. But if you could say in the same breath, and by the way, you are the only person that knows about this. What an incredible layer of accountability. Because oftentimes how this goes is somebody wrongs us, right? Somebody wrongs us. And we're like, this doesn't feel good. This isn't right. Hey, so-and-so, is this right? So-and-so did this thing to me, and that's not right, is it? I know, right? She is always like this. I don't understand. I know. Remember that last time? Oh my gosh. Other conversation. Hey, I, this person did this thing to me and um, I just want to get your take on it. You know so-and-so? Yeah, I know. I know, right? Gosh, every single time. All right, I'm going to go to that person. And then you go to that person Unfortunately, other people's views and perspectives have now been skewed because you didn't handle this biblically. You didn't go to that person and you're not able to say, hey, um, there's, there's something I really want to bring up with you, but I want you to know that you are the only person that I've talked with about this. Imagine how honoring that would feel. Imagine how honoring that would feel if you went to that person so that way they don't know and they don't know and they don't know and they don't know. Only the person that you're having this discussion with actually knows. Let that be a litmus test. Let that be an accountability measure so that when you go to that person, this is the only time that you've had this conversation. So that we can go and that we can be reconciled with this person. Go to that person in private and say, hey, 
I got to bring something up. This is going to be really, really hard. But I need to share it. And you're the only person that knows this. Are you willing to reconcile that way? The biblical way instead of another way. You see, when you choose the love that God gives, when you choose the love, when you decide that you want to commit yourself to love being above all else, and you're willing to speak the truth, you're willing to speak the truth in love, you're willing to go to somebody and say, this is going to be a really hard conversation, but because I love you, I want to have this conversation with you. And it might hurt, it might sting, it might be frustrating, No doubt, in a room this size, nearly every single one of us has experienced what this is like. But remember, it takes work in these relationships that we are in. It takes work in these relationships where we genuinely love this other person, when we genuinely desire a healthy relationship with them. As we begin to work our way up the mountain, we must speak the truth in love. Then we have to understand that love is not easily provoked. Flying off the handle, being irritable, being easily angered? Are people feeling like they have to walk around eggshells with you because a short fuse and you're done? And oftentimes what that will lead to is we need to go forgive others. Things that have been done against us that we're willing to say, you know what? I'm gonna forgive you. There might need to be measures taken to set boundaries which, by the way, we're going to bring up boundaries later in this series of what it looks like to have to set healthy boundaries in certain relationships so that the hurt doesn't happen. But if it does, it's our responsibility to keep extending the forgiveness 70 times, seven times, countless times, over and over and over again. And then it will require us to go and reconcile, to be willing to go to that person and say, hey, I want to have a conversation with you about something, but I want you to know that you are the only person that knows about this. And be willing to speak that truth. Be willing to control your anger without sinning. Be willing to extend forgiveness. All the while being reconciled to your brother, to your sister, to whoever it might be. Because then something incredible happens. You've put in the work. You've done the hard work. You've worked your way up the mountain. It's grueling. This is why I don't like hiking. It's not like a competition. If I could race somebody in a hike, that would be fun. If you told me that there was in and out at the top of the mountain, I would go. A literal hike is boring, but when we talk about the relationships in our life, they're worth the effort. The person that's sitting next to you, it's worth the effort to address all of these things. The person that you will sit across the table from tomorrow at work, it's worth putting in that effort. The child in your life, I'm not talking about your spouse, I'm talking about your actual child in your life. We'll talk about marriage later, I promise. It's worth the effort. And it's hard, but it's so worth it. Because when you're willing to do all of these things, you're willing to put forth this idea that love is above all else. And when you're able to do that, you can firmly proclaim that you are winning in your relationships. The 
you are winning. We all want to win in our relationships. And this is the hard work that we have to be willing to put in. And if you've put in hard work in any relationship in your life, you know it's worth it. You know it's worth it. That's why marriages are designed to get stronger and better from the day that you say yes. It's why friendships grow deeper and more bonded after the day that you meet that friend. It's why your relationship with your child goes to new depths that you've never experienced even after holding them on the day that they were born. It's why you excel in your job because you're willing to put in that hard work and it's so much better than the very first day you showed up. And the same is true in our relationship with the Lord. You see, none of this love is even possible. None of this love above all else is even possible in our life. And the blueprint was never actually laid before us until something amazing happened. Something incredible, where God would send his one and only son. You see, he loved us most when he sent us his best. And that's his son, to show us what love looked like. After all, 1 John 4.19 says that we are able to love because God loved us first. We are able to love because God loved us first. And if you want any part of that mountain, if you want any part of that winning, if you want any part of love being above all else, it'll never truly be attained until you say yes to Jesus first. I assure you of this. Because every God-honoring relationship that we have in our life finds Jesus at the very center of it. And before you can even begin to imagine what it would look like to have Jesus at the center of any relationship in your life, he's got to be at the very center of your life. He's got to be the most important thing in your life. I'd be remiss if we walked out of here today and I didn't give you an opportunity to say yes to the one who enables us to go and love like we've never been able to love before. Because he loved you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to this earth to go die on a cross so that we could experience transformation, so that we could experience that we were reconciled to him. And the thing that was removed from us was sin. And the thing that was placed inside of us was love and a future and a life that God always wanted us to live so that we could be united with him all because of Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you that you loved us so much that you sent us the best thing that you had, your son Jesus. That was the best gift you could have ever sent to this world. God, I thank you that you knew exactly what you were doing. I knew, God, I, I'm so thankful that you knew that we needed to experience a love so that that would help write the blueprint of the love that we ought to show and have in every other relationship in our life. But first, that starts with a love with you that is unmatched. Father, I pray for the person in here who walked in and They've never experienced that love from you. 
They've experienced love in a lot of other ways and it's only been hurt and it's damaged them. And they're tired of trying. And they recognize that in this moment, this is their opportunity to say yes to you, yes to that love. I pray for the couple in here whose marriage is just in pieces. It feels like our wedding day was our best day and it's been a fight ever since. I pray that they would be reconciled to you. Pray for the person in here, Lord, who um, is experiencing some pretty significant trauma in the area of some of the friendships in their life. They've been hurt, but they've also done some hurting too. They've said some things they shouldn't have said. They've posted some things they shouldn't have said. Lord, I pray that they would be reconciled to you. I pray that they would understand that in order to love in the best way in those relationships, is to say yes to you first. So if you want to say yes to him, if you want to say yes to his son that he sent down this, to this earth so that you could experience a love that is unlike any other love that you've experienced in your life, that Jesus would die on the cross for your sins and that you could have new life, you could experience his transforming love. Or you want to come back to him It's been a long time since you've been right with the Lord. This is your chance. I'm gonna pray a prayer. This prayer isn't fancy. It's not magical. It's just a simple prayer that says, God, you're God and I'm not and I recognize that you sent your son Jesus to this earth and I need that love. So anybody who wants to pray that prayer, to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to that transforming love, I invite you to pray this prayer right, right now, right where you sit. Repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love. And thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I say yes to you. I want your love. I want the life you want me to live. I want forgiveness. Most of all, I want to live the way you want me to live. So fill me with your love. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. And amen if you prayed that prayer. Amen if you made that decision to say yes. Thanks again for joining us. Here at Crossroads, we're all about helping people take their next step. So, what's your next step? Whether you've made a decision to follow Jesus, want to be baptized, or you're interested in knowing more about God and the Bible through our Alpha class, we can help you take your next step at crossroadschurch.family. We also want to invite you to gather your family and friends to join us right here online again next week. We're live Wednesdays at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 a.m. So if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss out on any new messages. If you found this message encouraging, click the like button and let us know how we can pray for you this week in the comments. Finally, if your life is being impacted by Crossroads and if you want to be part of making an impact all over the world, you can head to crossroadschurch.family to do that now. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you next time.